Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable, where Lisa and I, co-hosts of the Energy Radio podcast, get together to talk about the headlines from the week in news and debate their merits and their impact and their value. Uh, Lisa, welcome. Thanks, Matt. How are you doing this Friday? I'm doing well. And how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Good, good. Let's jump right in. I My first article is from the Los Angeles Times. Um, and uh, the headline is California just hit 90 95% renewable energy. Will other states come along for the ride? Question mark. And uh, the article has this great um, infamous duck curve for those who are in the industry. This, this curve that looks like a duck. Um, I'm not sure if it walks or talks like a duck, but uh, it certainly looks like a duck with the the back and the, the and anyways, it, it shows that 95% of the fleet or 95% of the energy, I guess it probably was was uh, was renewables, and um, so so that's you know there's there's a lot of excitement around um, uh, around that. So um, you know we've mm. seen some struggles, but uh, kind of a good news story. What are your thoughts, Lisa? Yeah, I'm actually impressed by the number. I had no idea. I mean, I knew that they were on the forefront of all this, but uh, 95% is a pretty big number. Um, and it's just amazing how much things have changed. Like was I, when I was in the emissions control space, I remember we were getting a a California Air Resource Board certifi- certification, yeah, verification, I guess we'd call it. Um, and part of the reason we were doing that was so that we could sell our product into California and clean up diesel emissions because there were a lot of mobile pieces of diesel equipment that were running around and they were very stringent at that point. But just to think of, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm sure every piece of equipment there is outfitted now with emissions control. Um, but just to think of what they've done on a statewide scale to, you know, implement renewables that quickly, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's some, the, the whole grid reliability piece is, um, you know, is, is the kind of the the caveat to all this, right? When you when the sun goes down or goes behind a cloud or or whatever, you know, uh, how does that impact you know the market? How do you provide resiliency? Mm-hmm. We're not too far removed from Texas and its issues. I don't think you're going to have an ice storm in California anytime soon, but you never know. I never mean, know. climate change is going in funny directions. So grid stability is is going to be the challenge, but it's certainly to your point, it, it, we've come a long way. So. You know, good good news story. How do we make it a holistic story that provides both the resiliency and the uh, the, uh, the the renewable energy footprint? So yeah, cool story yeah. nonetheless. So I'll um, I'll talk. I was actually going to talk about a different article first, but just because we were talking about renewable energy in California, this is maybe a a good uh, segue into this one. So this one is it's actually an, it's an old article, um, but there is kind of a new news piece to it. So. It's, it's from the Ontario Clean Air Alliance. Um, the article itself was dated May 20th, 2020. And its title is, It's Time to Phase It Ontario's Gas-Fired Power Plants to Help Protect Our Climate. The reason that I say that it's kind of um, a, an old and a new kind of article is because the Ontario Energy Association released a report on April the 14th. Uh, it was produced by Power Advisory, apparently, and it was titled, I think, uh, Phasing Out Ontario's Gas-Fired Power Plants. And really what it's talking about is the fact that we've gone from coal 
to nuclear. Now there's a lot of the new, like a lot of nuclear refurbishments are required in Ontario. And so there's going to be a lot of gas fire generation that's going to be required. And that's not necessarily in simple uh, or combined cycle mode, right? Like those, a lot of those plants are operating in single, simple cycle mode. So really from an overall efficiency perspective, they're not great. Um, so then there's some interesting numbers. They say that by 2030, our emissions, will, our greenhouse gas emissions will increase by 300%. And uh, by 2040, by 500 percent, if we keep going on this path, uh, and then we're losing roughly 40 percent of the pollution reduction benefits achieved by phasing out the coal-fired uh, generation. So then they have a whole bunch of kind of ideas in terms of, you know, uh, bringing in a hydro line to Ottawa so that we can import electricity from Quebec. Um, they talk about, you know, made in made in Ontario solar and wind. Um, to get the cost down below what our current cost of nuclear electricity is at, which is about uh, 9.6 cents per kilowatt hour in 2021. Um, what was interesting to me, though, was that 22 municipalities have now passed resolutions requesting the government of Ontario to phase out the uh, our, uh, our gas-fired power plants. I'll just name a few. I'm not going to name all of them, but Kitchener, Halton Hills, Hamilton, Burlington, St. Catharines, Tan of Coburg, Guelph, Waterloo, Kingston. I was just uh, kind of blown away by that. Uh, I don't I don't really know what to think of it because there isn't. So in terms of thumbs up or thumbs down, it's this is a really hard thing to for, for us to answer as a as a province. Right. Like you're you're phasing out nuclear generation. They haven't really come up with a plan to replace that with renewables. So what's that going to look like? How is this all going to unfold in the next you know, year or two? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm thumbs down on this. I, 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 and I, I'm sure I fall prey to it as well. But I mean, it's, it's easy to stand back as a municipality who, in most cases, isn't charged with you know, grid reliability and stand mm -hmm. back and throw rocks and say, we've got to clean our grid. And I'm, I'm all for bottom-up you know, pressure. But I think we need to broaden the discussion and, and talk about a lot of the ancillary benefits, as we call them, that these these assets provide. And I'm I'm not naive to know that, you know, to say that nobody else can provide that. Obviously, there's other technologies that can provide same ancillary benefits. But are they there? Is the infrastructure there? Is the market structures there? So as I've said on this before, you know, we need the extremes to move the middle. So, so we need this extreme point. Um, is 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 a Ford government in Ontario is the next government are any of them in a position to do this in the next five years no they're not um, you know the nuclear assets need to be refurbished and so we're going to have to you know but is it the trajectory we should trend towards yeah, of course it is but is it something that we're going to get to you know by 2030 probably not because yeah. it's just they provide too much strength and resiliency in the market yeah, and I think that uh, I'm hoping that the ISO will start to look at distributed energy resources a little bit more just to kind of start to bridge this gap a little bit um, in the sense that there's a whole bunch of different technologies that are sitting behind the meter. And if they could use that and that would benefit them from an overall emissions perspective, you know, on a, at a grid level, um, that could potentially resolve some of what's uh, what's going on here as well. Um, you raise a good point. Like, how do we it's one thing to have you know, from a macro, all of Ontario or all of, 
you know the the surrounding areas have that but but then the local the local power how do we get that resiliency if if there is a massive ice storm again and it affects transmission lines how can we mm -hmm. get that you know it's one thing to have the resiliency at the transmission level can we also get it at the distribution level and that's where microgrids and things of that nature come in yeah um so what the next headline i wanted to talk about and i'm not necessarily i mean i'm sure it shows up a lot is i don't have a specific headline but is this uh joe biden president biden uh address to the joint sessions of congress uh earlier this week i think on tuesday evening so i think on the uh 27th or 28th of april in any case so you know first of all it's the first time that uh, the president is sitting in front of uh, both a female speaker of the house and a female vice president. So that's kind of cool. Um, but also he really, you know, call it, you know, vision, call it rhetoric or call it somewhere in between, but a lot of conversation on clean energy, a yeah. lot of moving the needle around, you know, and, and some specifics and, and some, you know, but, but really casting a vision. And, and I, what I liked about it was it was a vision around, not just you know pie in the sky ideas and this sort, but really uh, two things. One is you know um, pitching it in this in the sphere of of job creation and and, and mm -hmm. pushing jobs. I think that's exciting. And then I think we also you know uh, Simon Sinek writes a book called The Infinite Game, which is talking about how all of us need one of the tenets that he has is that in industry and in business and in whatever we do to be a better version of ourselves, we need. Um, we need a, a what does he call it? He, he calls it like a, um, a credible enemy or some kind of a foe that we have to be. So, so you know, the, the space race to the moon, right? The Americans had the mm. Russians there. And so, so Joe Biden is really pitting the Americans, North America against China in terms of this, this climate race. So I think he laid down the gauntlet. I know America is very polarized and, and, you know, that will play itself out. But I kind of an interesting and exciting somebody with that pulpit to really push for it. So yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if you followed any of it, if you have any thoughts on it or anything. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if there's any U.S. president that <clears throat> is going to become going to get as close as possible to achieving this very quickly, I think it actually could be Biden. Um, you know, there's a lot of people backing him on this. Um, and in addition to that, I think he's kind of just stepped in at the right time, right? Like, again, we're sort of in the middle of this energy transition. So it'll, it'll be exciting to see, uh, how much change he's actually able to, uh, to, uh, to get to make. Yeah. I think in the, in the U S system, there's a bit more federal regulation around energy than there is here in Canada. So I think that, that he has that going for him and, um, you know, that they're coming out of, you know, COVID, let's see if they can, you know, really create some jobs. He's got all three houses. He's got, you know, the, the Senate and the, and the House of Republicans and, of course, the White House. So um, let's see. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, speaking about jobs, it's funny because uh, you're just giving me the perfect segues every time. Um, this is actually from yesterday, this article. So this is April the 29th. Um, so the ISO invests in projects that increase Indigenous participation in Ontario's energy sector. And it looks like the ISO is going to be providing $7.1 million in funding to 61 participants that will support energy planning, renewable generation, <clears throat> excuse me, and energy efficiency uh, measures. And I just, I love the story, um, you know, just because the there's, there's so much intent there to transform these types of, uh, you know, the Indigenous communities 
who historically I think has been a little overlooked, although um, the ISO actually, I think since its inception um, with this particular program in 2009, I found out, have provided $44.8 million in funding to 164 unique Indigenous communities and organizations. So that, I think, is great. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the big news story here is it's going to just spur economic development and the job creation and everything else that's just great for those uh, communities. So I think yeah. that's a, a good news story. Yeah, me too. I, I'm thumbs up on this. And, and anytime we can drive economic development and I mean, energy reliability and, you know, reliance on diesel is often a challenge in indigenous communities. And so to get, um, you know, to get away from that and anything we can do around, you know, biomass or hydrogen, uh, some pretty exciting things there. So it'll be, you know, I hope it and the ISO has, has been pretty good about rolling out programs and, and yeah. being able to, you know, uh, get some get some real traction around pro programs like this. So I think you know, they put a lot of thought into it and I'm sure they've done a lot of stake, stakeholding. We, we know they're very good at that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes of this. But it's a, another good news story for sure in the right direction. Yeah. Cool. Well, we've made uh, we've uh, reached the face off segment of our roundtable <laughs> and we'll bring our. Uh, our uh, our man behind the glass uh, in front of the glass, Mark Charbonneau. Welcome to Energy Roundtable. Hello. Can you hear me? Loud we and clear. We can hear you. Fantastic. Okay. So face off, where we pit you two against each other and uh, pros and cons of certain subjects. Today's subject is solar power, and um, one of you will be you know pro solar power. One of you will be con solar power. And I hear I have my quarter. Right on. The <laughs> There's the moose side. I love it. Um, and today uh, we'll let uh, Matt call heads or tails. What would you like? All right. Uh, I would like. I would like heads. Okay. Here we go. And it's tails. So Lisa, what would you like, pro or con? Oh my! I could take this both ways. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll do pros. Okay. And I guess um, you, you can decide who starts if you've got one of the. the the coin flip too. So. This is this is as complicated as the coin flip at an NFL NFL game, right? You've got to call it. Then you want to receive. Do you want to yeah. kick? You want to right. you know first half, second half. This is just as complicated. Yeah, and then you have to you have to also have to pick which year the coin was made. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's when you want to wager on it, Mark. That's a yeah. bit different. <laughs> do you want me to start, Matt, or do you want to start? It's your selection. Uh, I lost the toss. I lost. Okay. That, so. All right. So I will start. So uh, I guess to start off, solar obviously is a proven technology. Uh, there are actually currently 47.1 gigawatts of total so solar capacity installed nationwide. Hold on, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. How do you know that? Like, do you, did Mark give you insider information here? I, well, the moment I find out what the what the face-off is, Matt, you know oh, yeah. me. I have okay. to be prepared. Right, yes, so, that's where you and so I are I, I do a little bit of research in advance of this. Just, oh. I don't know which one I'm going to take, but I prepare okay. either way. <laughs> um, solar works in many climates. So contrary to popular belief, solar panels do actually work in low-light situations and not just in direct sunlight. Um, and, it, and in areas where maybe there's less light than others. So if you were to compare, for example, Alaska to, I don't know, California, as an example, we can compensate in, in, you know, in, in differences in light by upsizing the, uh, the solar array. Uh, solar is more affordable than ever. Uh, the pricing has dropped 89% in 10 years. That's a huge number in 10 years. I don't even know if there's any other technology that compete from with that as far as a price reduction standpoint. Um, I think it can actually benefit the entire electricity grid 
in situations where it's combined with other technologies. So whether it's energy storage or combined heat and power, they have a you know a long lifespan, 25 to 30 years is the expected life expectancy usually of solar PV. Uh, there's lots of different financial support coming out as far as incentives, um, you know, across North America. Um, in a residential case, it can increase the value of your home, providing you don't move right away. <laughs> that might not benefit you otherwise. And I think the other benefit that you have uh, with solar PV that you don't necessarily get with a lot of other technologies is there's very little maintenance that's required. And at the end of the day, they're renewable, so they're going to help the climate. And more importantly, they're just going to be one of the many technologies that we can choose to make uh, our world a better place for generations to come. So being totally con solar power is like being totally against like koalas or panda bears. Like, you know, <laughs> so I have to, I have to, I'm going to have to take a bit more of a nuanced uh, con approach because, I mean, it is. And there's there's no doubt that you know harvesting you know energy from the sun, um, you know I would argue that fossil fuels are also harvesting energy from the sun. It's just a longer <laughs> gestation time period. But so I, I what I what I'm what I'm against is the broad view that solar power is the be all and end all to everything because there are many drawbacks, right? And and particularly early on, you had um, you had a lot of high grade farmland that was being converted to to, to run solar panels. And, and so that's, you know, that's interrupting the, the supply chain. Um, you know, I think I think there is a broader question around what is what is required from a carbon footprint to to build and dispose of, you know, particularly create the solar PV cells. So I think, you know, where do we draw the biggest uh, control, the big enough control volume around the project to really get a clearer representation of the uh, of the carbon impact? Uh, that's another one. Um, and, and I think you know it 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 doesn't it, it isn't a fit for every every environment. It, you know I think it it needs it, it can't stand on its own, right? Whereas you know CHP as a technology can run on its own. You know it doesn't need it can do everything. Yes, it has a carbon footprint, but but from a reliability perspective, it can do everything. It can it can run at night, uh, or it can run on a cloudy day, which solar can't do. So, so that you know that not that reliable that availability curve uh, is on solar is is you know is a lot worse than than a, a gaseous fueled uh, CHP. So, so there's a lot. Of, it's not the answer to everything. Uh, like I said, it's uh, I'm pro pandas and koala bears. And, you know, <laughs> I, I have to be pro solar as you know a part of uh, the mix, but it I think it is tried to be applied too widely. Well, I also love pandas. Pandas are like <laughs> one of my favorite animals. Actually, they're just so are they fun. are they your spirit animal, Mark? They must be. They're just so like chill and lazy, and they just kind of sit around. And so, not that I sit around, but um, you know, I'm envious, I guess, of the pandas. That's my life. <laughs> I love it. So, who so, won? So, I got to go with Lisa on this one. Um, she clearly was more prepared and had uh, all of her her. her uh, her cheat that, sheet available to that her. That should right? be that should be no surprise to anybody. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do try my best to repair. It doesn't always work out, but so, I so try. no no extra points for the reference to pandas and koala bears. That didn't help me. Well, not not this time, but uh, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Although well, like it's pretty, said, it is pretty cloudy where I am right now, so you know that's a con to to solar power. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. Um, actually, Our, I'm I'm getting um solar vents put on my roof as well. So like I'm getting my roof done oh. probably in a couple of weeks, and there are these that's this what this hat is. It's uh they they make solar vents and 
what, so, what you know what does that mean yeah. it just the fit this the vent um cues the fan and like it's like oh. a so yeah so the you know it traps the 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 energy and then it runs the fan um in the vents oh so so yeah. okay so now i have a question so what happens in the middle of winter when it snows and you have snow on your roof <laughs> <laughs> i haven't actually looked into that but uh i'll, I'll well, you get don't, back to you on that it's it's a roof vent like so it's it's venting out the attic space well, it's been, yeah, exactly. So, but, but, anywhere but the that, solar uh, panel is on the roof still, like to control electrically control that vent. The, right on the vent. The panels are okay. right on the vent. Yeah. Oh. A self-contained unit. Okay. Correct. Correct. Cool. Yeah, I'll send which, you guys a, a link which for it. it. In the winter, you don't want that anyways, right? You want yeah. you want that heat there to to act as an insulation. Whereas insulation in barrier. Sun- yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. cool. Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool, actually. So solar. That's panel. cool. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you for another great episode of Energy Roundtable. Mark, thank you for the face-off. Lisa, thank you for being uh, a graceful winner in this case. Uh, Until next time, um, we wish you all uh, safety and uh, lots of fun. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Have a good one.